As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Derek Ellum. Uh, according to today's conversation, I think I've been mispronouncing Derek's name for years, so I apologize, Derek. Derek Ellum, where we sometimes discuss Derek Ellum and Chet Dragon. Today's episode, the bad news, uh, no Jed, for your listening pleasure, uh, I'm solo this week, the good news, we've got a real treat on tap, got an opportunity to catch up with a legend in our sport 15-time NHRA Division VI champion, 30-time NHRA national event winner, and the most recent NHRA stock eliminator world champion, Mr. Jody Lang. Jody's 2020 stock eliminator world championship is the cherry on top of a Hall of Fame racing career, and one that, as he gets into in this episode, I think he honestly uh, questioned would ever happen. Prior to 2020, Jody Lang had knocked on the door 
numerous times. Most notably, he finished number two in 2011. He finished number two in 2005. And in each of those seasons, posted points totals that would win the national championship literally nine years out of 10. 699 points to finish second in 2011. 672 points um, to finish second in 2005. That's 699 mark. I believe when we had Kevin McKenna on the show, he confirmed that that's the highest points total ever to not win the NHRA World Championship uh, in the since the the points uh, system was altered some twenty plus years ago. To make it more impressive, <clears throat> and, and I guess let's start with that. Like that's two second place finishes over the years. Jody's had a handful of third place finishes. I didn't even get to tally up all of the top tens. I'm pretty safe in assuming that he's finished in the top ten of the NHRA point standings. 20 times, maybe more. Uh, He's been doing this at a high level for two and a half decades at the NHRA level, much less his bracket experience before that. Um, So this championship, again, it just, not that he had a career that needed cementing, uh, a, a legacy that needed an exclamation point, but he got it in 2020. And so it's cool to go back in time with him through some of those near misses. And I think we touched on it a little bit in this episode. The most, as impressive as it is to win a national championship at this level, I think the coolest part about the narrative surrounding Jody Lang, and at least for my money, the most impressive part of this is that he's done it in a car that when he began racing Stock Eliminator some 25 plus years ago, his Malibu station wagon was in the minds of many, not by any stretch of the imagination, the ultimate tool for the job. And Stock Eliminator has evolved monumentally in the two and a half decades since to where cars like his, you don't see very often, period. And you literally see one, two, maybe other competitors across the country have any level of success in similar vehicles and similar speed vehicles. And yet year after year after year, Jody Lang is there contending for and now ultimately winning the national championship. We're going to hear all about it in Jody's words from his 2020 season uh, championship campaign to the near misses leading up to it, to some of the challenges that go into chasing an NHRA national championship from Division Six in the state of Washington, where he resides, um, to a little bit of his history and just uh, Jed's missing out on some on some great foot break talk. Um, like I say, this episode is a treat. Hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, joining me now, reigning NHRA Stock Eliminator World Champion, Mr. Jody Lang. Jody, I would imagine that takes a little getting used to, but it's got a heck of a nice ring to it. Yeah, it does. It's uh, coming off a weird year there. It's still, it's actually still sinking in. So, you know, it's. Uh, I think uh, 
Eric Reyes does my numbers for me, Kyle's buddy. So I believe the numbers are on their way and I can at least just slap them on the car and let it sit for however long until we start racing again. So I saw in, uh, in one, to one of your uh, interviews, one of your quotes, you thought maybe that would be the moment where it would feel real when you, when you put right. that on the side of the car. Yeah, I've heard that from a few guys. So it's hard to I think. I think to me, probably be the first race where you actually, you know, looking at your car or whatever, maybe, but eh, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully we're racing this year, right? No kidding. No kidding. Well, man, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day joining us here on the podcast. It's an honor to have you. Wanted to have you on for a long time and uh, couldn't think of a better reason uh, than to kind of commemorate your uh, your title run. So before we get into the, the the good vibes and the amazing feeling that it that it had to be on November 5th, 2020, I want to take you back almost nine years to the day. Same facility, same setting. I think it was uh, November 7th, 2011. Yeah. That day that probably lives in infamy in your mind. <laughs> me through that day, the scenario and the, the feelings associated with it. Yeah, it was, it was weird because I don't remember. It was a Monday. I don't remember why. I don't know if it was weather or oil down. I don't remember why. But the weirdest, worst part of it was I did not want to go up and watch. I figured it was bad luck or I just didn't want to, well, Monday, there's no announcers. Okay. Well, I looked at her. I was like, kind of got to go watch now. Cause uh, we, what do you do? Go to the scale and see who weighs, I, I, you know? So we went up and watched and I think I lost fourth this round by a couple thou, which was the round I needed. And uh, so we went up and watched and it was, I don't remember three out of four were, Red lights, I mean, Joe's a great driver, but it was just like, can somebody just go green and just see what happens, we'll play it out. But, you know, that's just the way it goes, one of those things. But it was uh, it was heartbreaking, you know. After after a couple red lights there and I went back up for the final, it was just I was almost expecting it, which is sad to say. But, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. So to kind of set the stage, you come into that race in 2011. As you said, you had to, to win the round that you ultimately lost to essentially clinch the title. You lined up with 699 points, which was a massive, monumental score, would win the championship nine years out of ten at minimum. Um, yeah. And when you lose, I believe there might have been another racer with a mathematical chance, but the only realistic chance to pass you was Joe Santangelo. He had to go on and win the event, and then you just yeah. – him click off round after round yep. ultimately he's the world champion and you're number two yeah another round it was a heads up i believe against cal or marianne and they busted their good tranny and like their spare tranny was i don't remember a dime dime and a half slower and i'm like i wonder if mine would work i'll take it out of the car i mean you know but what do you do you know, <laughs> right. just one of those things that everything lined up perfectly for him and you know, that's, that's the way that goes, but it's hard to believe it's been, uh, was nine years. You know? I know. I was thinking the same thing when I was looking back on it. Cause I remember watching it on, on, you know, I don't even remember if live timing was a thing that I might've been following on drag race central, but it, it feels like it was, uh, two years ago and, and not nine. And I would, right. that I would assume stands out in, in your mind and following your career. Like that's the one that I'll probably never forget because I can't, I can't ever remember hurting for someone more <laughs> in that instant. <laughs> 
there's always drama around the championship chase, but that one, as happy as I was for Joe, it just, it just is a kick in the gut for everyone. You know what I mean? Just thinking about what you're going through, but that's, I guess, kind of the, the, the one that we remember, you've had a lot of near misses. I mean, uh, yeah. Second place to, to Peter Biondo in 05. And another one, I think he had 672 points is what my record shows that year. I think, yeah, I think Helms, that, that one was Vegas as well. And that was another same deal. He had to do something there in Vegas. And, you know, it's a, it's been a good place for me. It's been a heartbreaking place for me. So what do you do? <laughs> so I guess now it's easier to look back on that and laugh. And, and I, I would imagine that to some extent, it makes climbing to the top of the, the mountain that much sweeter now that you're there. Uh, right. If you can juxtapose the two for me, uh, November 5th, 2020, November 7th, 2011. Yeah, that uh, the round it actually happened for me, I wasn't convinced. And, here, and here's why. I, I lost first round in both cars the week before, and I believe was their actual national event. And so we, we came home early, you know, I'm going to go back to work for three or four days or whatever it was, probably three days. I think we finished on Thursday or something. And on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm watching Justin, of course, you know, he's ripping off wind lights like it's just nothing. And Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune in for this, you know. Well, I get a text from Mike Rice. Sorry, Mike. But he's like, uh, are you still here? Well, I know he's in Vegas. I'm up here in Washington. I'm like, no why you know i'm like it was like 756 they're starting at eight right i'm like okay what's going on here and i go no i'm not what's going on and he's like uh oh i'm just trying to wrap up all the championship stuff for all the guys and i'm like you know it's not over and the guy that can pass me it's still in he doesn't reply doesn't reply until after justin turned on another wind light he must have been looking at points when he realized it's not over because he was down. He was down a ways. You know, guys are looking at the top 10, maybe 12. 15. He was way down there. I'm like, Mike, he's still got a shot. And so when people were telling me and I heard the screaming and stuff, I'm like, okay, as now is um, whoever's math, is it is it correct? Because Mike didn't have it, right? <laughs> I wasn't really convinced. And plus, I was still going around. So it was kind of bittersweet till the end of the day, right? When you had time to soak it in a little bit. And, I know um, at, at some point, I don't know exactly at, at what point, but it, it became clear that obviously you were the leader in the clubhouse. The only challenger with the mathematical shot was Justin Lamb, and he had an um, incredible road to hoe, basically. Like he, he essentially had to run the table at Vegas, win the national, uh, win the, the sports national that you know, was the, yeah. the makeup race that ended up being in between, and then win the points meet. So on one hand, you think, man, like the odds are in my favor. On the other hand, you've watched been there before. You know, <laughs> to those extremes. And it's Justin freaking Lamb at Vegas, right? I That's mean, right. Be yep. the, just be super content at that point and think, no, That's right. he's, hey, this is going to happen, right? He's going home for lunch. And <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, that's, that was my thinking. And I know what he can do. And, and he's, he's tough. I mean, there's just, you know, I was kind of in a way hoping to get him, but I had got him at, uh, man, what was that first weekend? Was it the divisional or I think it was a divisional it was a semis and it was a really decent race. And he takes like three thou on me 
took three thou on Romero or two thou on Romero in the final. I'm like, the dude's on, man. I mean, right. To a point, luckily, I'm like, okay, it's probably good. We're getting out of this weekend with the weather. Maybe next weekend or whenever the, the continuation, maybe he'll he'll cool off by then. And he didn't. <laughs> right. So of the three events, to your point, he wins the first one. So now yeah. it's closer. He's still, you know, 12, 13 wind lights away, but you're thinking, oh, right. right. And then you two are lined up to run in like the semis of the sports nationals, right? If you both get there, semis are possibly the round before. Uh, I think so. Yeah. And I believe that he lost the round before you guys would have met up, which you're, you're right. That's right. Cause I remember who, who uh, ran him and I did have him the next round. That's right. You're right. Yeah. Jerry Stein. But when it actually happened to your point, a not a hundred percent sure the math's right. And it sounds like you were in a bit of a scramble anyway. You're still in two cars at that point, right? Yeah, that, and it was really confusing. Um, because they were they were doing us, but it was test and tune day for I guess that would be the last divisional race. So when they call a class to the lanes, which they called Super Street right after I got back from Superstock, and I'm like, she goes, was that the this or that? And I'm like, oh, that had that's too quick. They haven't run top this, top that. That's got to be the test and tune. Well, it wasn't. By the time I got up there, my guy was waiting for him. I felt so bad. It was Brian Order and. He just told those guys, I'm not moving until he comes here or something, you know, unless he's broke. Or, And I pulled up there, and right as we're flipping coins is when the Justin was racing. So I could hear it. I didn't have my helmet on or none of that. But uh, like I said, I was trying to stay focused, you know, running the race. And, I mean, we're fourth round, I believe, at a national event, basically. And But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little, like I say, that day was a little confusing. <laughs> it sounds like it all the way around. You see the wind light come on that round around the corner, coast down the hill at, at Vegas. Like, I assume at some point then people are coming up to you congratulating you. It's beginning to sink in. This is real. Yeah, well, Justin, as soon as I, I think I was just getting out of my car, he was there on a scooter, and he's like, hey, man, congrats. I'm like, you sure? He's like, I'm pretty sure. That's <laughs> what they're saying. I'm like, oh, you, you like, are you positive? And, you know, as I'm hooking up the battery charger, he's congratulating me. You know, it's, it was pretty cool on his part to get up there that quick. So he actually said, he came up as soon as he got back to his pit and I was gone. He's like, where'd he go? Well, like I said, I was getting up, up there, getting late to the lane. So, but yeah, it was, that was pretty cool of him to come by and he's like, Hey man, welcome to the club. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for that, right? <laughs> yeah. If he's telling me that it's gotta be true. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And then to just put icing on the cake, you see what another three win lights and close out the day winning the Jake sports nationals is kind of the, the cherry on top of clinch the championship, win a national event all in the same day. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was pretty cool. And the round before that one with, with Ryan was, was a hell of a race with Cal method. I mean, here party of thinks, ah, oh, you know, he, He's an old timer. He's going to, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to take it easy on me, but you know, I mean, it came down, I think it was two thou and he's like, I thought I got there first. I'm like, I thought I got there first. And it was really, really great race. And one of those deals, you're not sure, you know, cause it's so close. You look over and you're just, Oh, the light came on. Holy, holy cow. And yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty incredible. But yeah, to, just to keep going rounds cause it, it's so tough. You know, it's who knows you know, saying this, but it, it's so tough to turn on one win light nonetheless to win a race. And 
like even if back it up a week or two into Phoenix there, it was the light, the wind lights were coming on. I'm just like, man, this is, this is, you know, you know, it is, you, I guess you get on a roll, you get on a roll, but it, it's pretty incredible. And you think about how hard it is with the, in my classes with the faster cars, the newer cars are so fast and can make it pretty tough. So, but yeah, it was uh, very fortunate to, to do what we did there. It is incredible to to put together a title season. I think it's even more incredible to put together season after season after season in contention like you have for what twenty five years in 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 stock and super stock. I'm curious as we go back, like we talked about two thousand five, we talked about two thousand eleven. I as I go through, I did a little bit of research, probably not quite enough, on your accomplishments. Fifteen-time Division Six champion, thirty-time NHRA national event winner. I got tired of counting. I was going to try to come up with how many top tens, and I I just couldn't do it. Like I I, I don't know if you know specifically. It's a lot. Like are there? Yeah, I don't. But <laughs> any other? I'm horrible with that stuff. Right, me too. I understand. Are there any other near misses that stand out? I know that you've been top five so many times. Yeah, it was, I had a shot at Pomona one year, ended up third. I can't remember. That was the year Chuck Rayburn won. It had to be mm. 94 or five, somewhere in there. Um, now just the 2011 one, the, the Kevin Helms one stick out. My brother, my brother, I think had been number two once or twice, once for sure, maybe twice. So as a family, it was just rough. You know? <laughs> like you say, you, you see a couple guys, What no matter what class, whether it's super gas or, you know, win a championship with 558 or five, you're like, wow, <laughs> that's. And this entire run, I mean, I, I know that you're, and I want to get into like how your, how your racing career began in the first place, but I know your first NHRA national event win was actually in super gas, right? No, it was actually, well, you can see it, maybe nobody else, but it was against the car that's in the, my background picture with my current girlfriend was driving it. <laughs> nice. So it wasn't, so that was, okay. that was 96, but the super gas one happened, I believe the year after 97, which I think was my third, but okay. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people have, it's been so long now. A lot of people didn't know I drove super gas for it was maybe two or three seasons. Right. Yeah. That's what stuck in my mind. So the first national event win, you said 96 in the same wagon, right? Yep. So you've been yep. in that car for, I, yep. I more than 25 years and uh, yeah that car been in the family like I, I picked it up up in 91 it's not a wasn't a high school car or nothing like that I just was tired of going to our national event up here it came back in 88 and I was a spectator you know I was doing fairly once that 90 for sure I was doing pretty well in the brackets won a race of champions up here in division six I'm like man I'm sitting in the bleachers at what is then the biggest rate you know Back when you could get some contingency, it's the biggest race of the year. Mm -hmm. We had some bracketeer races and big bracket races for up here where two, twenty five hundred, three granders. You know, guys are laughing nowadays at that. That's that's a quarter final probably at some of the races you guys get to go to back there. But yeah, that was uh I just I didn't want to take my bracket car and convert it into super street or not, so I'm just started looking and saw actually Don Elgin was running in stock. I'm like, man, that seems like a a decent class to get into not knowing all the sure you know all the little stuff that you need to know but it was yeah it was it was a decent start for me it was affordable and took me a better part of a year and a half to get it under the index so and the 
the station wagon that you that you ultimately won the championship in has it always been the same combination essentially or has that yeah just it's always been a 305 there's been a different head combination for horsepower reasons and little stuff like that right but yeah yeah the guy I, I didn't build it he had it for i don't know how many years before uh, before i picked it up as a stalker as well so now, I think it's so incredible and, and such a big part of your story looking back. It's one thing today to to win the national championship in an M-Stock automatic station wagon. You know what I mean? Against the Cobra Jets and Copos and eight-second stockers and everything that you're dealing with. Yep, yep. I would argue over the course of you know the last two and a half decades to just consistently be among the the elite you know the top of the pack across the country in a car that that most people would look at and say like that's not the ultimate tool for the job <laughs> and it's interesting you know obviously you've built up an incredible database it's as you know by and large the same combination for that period of time but i'm curious i know that it's that you've gone about a lot of adaptations in that car if i remember correctly when you first started running stock eliminator we could still deep stage like you were deep at one point right correct yeah yep. so, when that goes out the window, it's a whole new learning curve, and you've still yeah. That was that was really started looking at the at the classifieds for a faster car, so I could cut it just so I could cut a light. Right. I mean, because I remember somehow I won the division the last year of the incandescent lights. And there were certain tracks, Luke. I was taking three and four bumps, just you know, because you don't want to totally change your spot and just kind of anticipate. Because next thing you know, you're lighting it red by fifty or sixty, and it was a, you know, three, four bump, couple tracks. It wasn't, but you know, the altitude tracks like Boise and stuff, where you get a go to even a sea level with a long, you know, long rollout. It's it's really hard to dial your car in when you're talk, taking three or four bumps, especially being a slower car. It's it's brutal. Sure. And so then I was looking, okay, let's let's look 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 into a small block early Camaro or some EF, you know. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Then the announcement of the LEDs came, and I'm like, well. Let's hold off here a little bit and don't get too carried away because for some reason I, I love the station wagon, you know, And uh, but it's not like I've never thought about uh, trying to go a little bit faster at least, you know. We've, uh, we jokingly referred here on the, on the podcast as things were winding down between Craig Bourgeois winning competition eliminator with the largest front tires on any car in the country and you winning <laughs> stock eliminator with maybe the smallest <laughs> tires on any door car in the country. I'm like, that's a good fit. Um, <laughs> in your words uh, whether it's 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 now or you know over the span of of driving that car what is the most difficult aspect of um driving a slower stock eliminator car with the success that you have just sometimes in the past i don't know what it was or certain tracks um oh three i was um a jigs invite whatever you call it it was pretty early on in the chicago deal and we went back to a couple other races reading and tennessee i was first round guy every every race i think i won a few rounds when they finally did run chicago and the national event part of it but it was just all over the place and i couldn't figure out why and that's some of the stuff slower cars you know i watched some of the guys up here especially the pinto wagon i raced at boise dell um, Derek Ellum and uh, I don't know how they dial that thing you know I have trouble and here you add another four seconds how are you guys dialing into this headwind and they'll they'll hit it right on you know but that's that's the main thing for me is just the thing is inconsistent you know lately I've, I've kind of got that with some tune-up stuff and but in the past it'll you'll 
you know, you'll miss it by a tenth and, you know, you get out of your car and, okay, it must have been a, a headwind I didn't see or whatever. And now there's nothing. You're like, ah, okay, something's wrong with the car. That's the biggest thing I fight, which destroys your confidence, obviously. So, no, and that's I've heard what you talk about that several times with trying to figure out with race pack why it's inconsistent and, <laughs> you know, eighth mile stuff. You guys run a lot, two, three hundreds, but, you know, sometimes eight to ten and right. you're, you're done. There's just no way. No question. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm interested in, in digging into Jody is I, when I look at the success that you have, and again, like just looking at the numbers, you make it look easy. So I'm thinking, does he have that combination that figured out? Or as you said, like the, what I typically fight is this inconsistency, like you're just overcoming it. Right, right, right. And like I say, the tune up with some stuff and uh, I, I've never two-stepped a car. It's foot brake, which is another little thing. People don't, they don't have to deal with that low RPM squirters and air doors and figured that little, little deals, you know, over the years that I had no clue when I first started. And, um, you know, people, why don't you two-step? It's, I'm not going to change now. I've just I've foot swapped so many for so many years and I really enjoy it. And they have a foot brake race up here. I've been going to the last three, four, five years. And it's just, it's just fun. I think it's funner. Mm-hmm. I, I hate, even in my trans brake car, I, just, I hate two steps. Yeah, I understand. Because that thing starts popping and banging, I'm done, man. <laughs> As, I'm curious, what, if there's a single piece of advice that you would give to, because we, we run into so many racers that are just um, intimidated, for lack of a better word, when getting chased. And here you are, you know, getting chased, I would imagine the vast majority of the time, sometimes by... Yeah incredible amounts these days in stock eliminator and to your own admission, like maybe don't have the most consistent cars. So obviously you're putting a, an impetus on driving the finish line. What right. makes that work for you? Or what is the one piece of advice that you can give racers to, to overcome that fear and actually execute at that end of the track? I think for me, it was laps. I mean, I was the classes I started out in say with my bracket car, I was the slower car. And if I, if I had a sportsman car, I never had the, back in the day it was 14. You know, I always had the 1650 car I drove to work every day. And I basically was looking over my shoulder eight, nine out of 10 races, you know, just something I got used to. And I think it's mainly just laps. And, you know, a lot of guys aren't comfortable. I've raced a lot of guys when I'm chasing them. They don't, they don't look over, you know, it's the younger guys that, that really doesn't happen. But some of the old guys, they just, they didn't believe in it. They're, you know, and they, but, uh, that's, that's the main thing I think just repetition and, and seat time. And, you know, back in the day up here, you could run, I mean, it's, we're not running for anything like no five grander, but it was, you know, you could run Wednesday, you could run Friday, Saturday, Bremerton, an hour away, Sunday, you know, sometimes Portland, you know, you could get some laps in a, in a short amount of time there, but, uh, you know, one other kind of advice related question. So I say they're a young racer, but it doesn't matter. Young, old, someone looking to get into stock eliminator that, that the idea of going, you know, the, the new factory cars is not within the means at all. Like we need to start this, you know, on a budget of, of some extent, probably not going to have the fastest car and probably not going to have the furthest under the index car. What would your advice be to them starting out? Just, yeah, that's, probably go there if you know anybody you know hang out a little bit see if you know if you are interested otherwise there's some there's some pretty 
respectable combinations. You know, the, all the Ford 302 stuff is pretty decent. That's 13s, you know, right in there. That's not too bad. Um, I mean, a buddy of mine, Lane Weber, he ran the fling a lot. You know, he, he's up there in Denver at, you know, 16 seconds running against those guys and has some pretty good success. But again, he's, he's kind of like me. He's done it. He's been being chased forever. And, uh, but yeah, you just got to find some halfway affordable and don't get intimidated when you go to a national event and see all the newer cars and the big rigs. And there's plenty of guys getting it done with a, with a truck and open trailer and stuff like that. It, it's kind of neat. So you, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, Jody, but take me back to the, the origins. Like I, I'm relatively familiar with your career from 1996 on, you said considerable bracket success before then. Like how did this, this journey all get started for you? Uh, me and a buddy who just, you know, had auto shop as a kid, just like being around cars, you know, like watching Ed the Ace on TV. I had models, you know, I'd build and, but you know, definitely not a second generation racer. My, my dad did do some racing and stuff, but I was never there. You know, it was just before we came along and uh, yeah, my buddy's like, Hey, we should, we should go in on a car together, which starting out we did. I was going to get the car. He was going to do all the drivetrain stuff. And that was 85. And I just asked him cause we weren't doing anything with it. And like, Hey, I'm ready to do this. And he's like, well, I'm looking to get married and have kids. I'm like, well, let's figure this out. And I started piecing something together and had no clue what I was doing when I first got out there. I mean, none, I wouldn't ask any questions. I just want to go out there and run the car and have fun. You know, at first it wasn't competition. It was all about the car and figure out and traction. And then you get out there and you start hearing points and guys. And next thing you know, you I think one of the first two or three weekends I turned on, I wasn't, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other guy, the other day. I can't remember his name. One the first race he ever went to. I mean, that definitely wasn't me. <laughs> you know, it was back then up here at Seattle International Raceway, it was handwritten time slips. So when the laps, you know, the, the lady didn't have time to write everything down. You're lucky to get your car number and your ET, maybe the dial in, never a reaction time, right? And that was that was just hard learning there, but just kept going out because I just really enjoyed it right off the bat. And just kept going and started, you know, asking guys like, why do I keep losing? I'm running right on. And they, you know, some of the guys, they wouldn't tell me, hey, you're just, you're waiting until the green, kid. They're like, what are you doing? But uh, yeah, just kept going and having fun, and took a while. I did two, three years to to start with a you know to realize there was certain things I needed to do. Stage same RPM, all the stuff everybody takes for granted now. I, I didn't know back then. Was and, there uh, was there one specific racer early on that kind of took you under their wing and began to show you the ropes, or was it more trial and error? For me, bracket wise, was definitely trial and error when I when I got the stock. Bill Cost definitely took me under his wing, but bracket wise, it was just going there and just having fun and trying to figure it out. And, you know, if I would have just parked myself down at the finish line and listened to the announcer, you probably could have figured it out when he starts talking reaction times, because he's looking at what we don't get on our time slip. But I mean, that, that seems so long ago with handwritten time slips, but it, it was crazy to think about. So you got into the sport before your brother did? Yep. Okay. And then what was, uh, how was that conversation? How did I assume that his getting into racing was, uh, was somewhat at, at your urging? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, geez, 90. 
Well, I got them to come out. I needed back, back, back in the day, the hot setup was to do your burnout, pull forward and have somebody squirt some VHT under your tires, do a little hop over that. So I'm like, Hey, I need somebody to come out here and help me with this. Cause you know, you get up Seattle at nine, 10 at night, it gets a little dewy out there. And so that was like 1990. I say 91, he was running my regular sportsman car and maybe even 90. And then he, he ended up getting a wagon like mine for the street. And he, he learned, he learned really fast. He was, he was running was same thing for three, four times a week, trying to, trying to get some seat time. So yeah, definitely that came from me. And then he fell in love with it as well and wanted to get a bracket car. I think he started out in super pro, you know, with the same thing, slower car, you know, 1190 car or whatever. And uh, same deal, just enjoyed it and went on from there. What's uh, what's Toby up to these days? I haven't seen him in years. He's, he's just working. He's it, His former car owner, Jim Matters, kind of offered him a couple times to come down and drive his car. And Jim's looking to step away from the sport here. And I told him, hey, you might have a good shot just to come. But, you know, with, I don't know how that works with owner points and grade points. I, I'm not sure if he'll do it or not. But, yeah, his bracket car sold here a couple years ago. And he hasn't. He hasn't made a lap in probably seven, eight years. I mean, it's it's weird to say that, but it's it's definitely true. You know, it's pretty crazy to think about. No, just like we were talking, how quick the nine years go. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Funny story, just to to piggyback on uh, on your on your VHT. Like that was, uh, <laughs> I remember that was quite the rite of passage. Like when that got to be my job for my father. I'm a second generation racer, right? So when when they. Yep. Tr- enough to get out there with the Dawn bottle and squirt a little bit of that. That's <laughs> right. So this just a few years ago, I'm talking with um, Roger Martin, who is Nathan Martin's father. Um, and I've known Roger basically my whole life. He's, uh, he's telling me old war stories and he's like, yeah, you know, we were at, uh, at Cedar Creek one day when Scotty and Edmund were just, you know, they were helping their father race. They were young, you know, Scotty's probably 10 years old. And, uh, and Roger's telling me, normally, you know, my, my brother would come with me and he was my VHT guy and he couldn't make it that day. So uh, it's first round and, you know, Eddie Richardson's a few pairs in front of me and Scotty's up there with the, with the VHT bottle. So Eddie wins and Scotty's walking back through the staging lanes and I stopped him and I said, hey, um, would you mind staying up there and, and going up with me? And after I do my burnout, you could, you could squirt a little bit of this down for me. And he said, and I'm not kidding you, Luke. He said, nine year old Scotty Richardson looked at me with that bottle and said, do you not realize that we're here to whoop you and walked off? <laughs> I'm like, all right. That's all right. <laughs> nice. So talking about the VHD. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the competitive urge started young. <laughs> um, I think uh, we've talked about it a little bit here on the show, Jody, and and obviously I don't know from firsthand. We were we were laughing a little bit before we started recording because those of us on the on the East Coast or in the in the central part of the country, like I am, we just see the West Coast races and assume like, okay, well Jody's going to make the you know the the races in Vegas and Phoenix. Like that's not too far from home. You told me how fair that Vegas is basically twenty four hour drive from where you live. To me, yeah, I, I don't tow very fast, but it's just, you know, that's a comfortable, you know, some guys, oh, I make it in 18 hours. I just plan on 24, you know, get there earlier, good, you know, plan in case you have a flat tire. But yeah, it's it's a solid, solid full day's drive. Even the home division races, division six is pretty spread out. Like what's the, what's the normal travel just to make your in division races? Yeah, most of them have been pretty good now. <laughs> 
I don't want to go off the deep end with this thing, but they've, they've moved. Last year, they had a double header there at Montana. That's, I believe, 16 to 18 hours, something like that. I don't plan on going there because that's the – talked about the deep staging thing. That's one thing where I would need to bump in a couple, two or three to have a chance. It's 4,000 and something feet. And for the most part, I got one, two, like three tracks about three, three and a half hours away. Then Boise's about nine, ten. It's not too bad, but other than that, you know, when I don't go to, if I'm not going to go to Montana, I'm missing two right there. So Sonoma's about 14, 15. That's not too bad being out of division, but it's not, there's worse. Definitely. If you're in division five, you're way, you're, you're off way worse than I am. That's for sure. Yeah. The division five footprint does get really spread out, but when you combine the, the geographical disadvantages with the fact that for as long as I can remember, there's been one national event in your home division. Like to simply chase a national championship requires a tremendous amount of travel. Plus you've yep. got typically shorter round races. So there's not as many points available. Like yep. I feel like it's a really tough road to hoe to win a championship from division six. Right. Right. And then with the COVID thing, like I won Seattle last year it was our first race since I left uh, Phoenix, I believe. And that was a 26 car, five round deal. You know, you don't, you know, some of these interviews I've been in, they're like, oh, at Seattle, did you think you had it wrapped up? I'm like, I didn't think we, we might not race again the year. There was no points thinking about anything. It was just good to get out and have a good time, see your friends and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely not easy here. And then last year, of course, Seattle got canceled. Right. So my closest to Seattle and Sonoma are both canceled for national wise. So it was, yeah, it was heartbreaking to say the least on that. Sure. So you get the, the early start pre pandemic with what Pomona and Phoenix and yep. one of the Vegas. I didn't go, I didn't go to Vegas. I figured there'd be plenty, plenty more nationals to go to. And <laughs> luckily I did go home cause it didn't happen anyways. Right. There was a lot of guys that parked their stuff, whether it was a Phoenix or Vegas and, that had to fly back just to drive them home and not even get to race the believe they were going to have a divisional and a national there and right, I believe right. the divisional got canceled as well so, so yeah it was it was brutal obviously a, an abbreviated season and an odd season at what point did it even appear possible relevant like hey this could actually be the year was there a certain race, maybe even a certain round that you started letting yourself think that way? Yeah, I had success, like I say, Seattle. Then I went to Boise. I think we had a six-round race there. I'm not positive, but, uh, you know, around Derek and the Pino there, that was a both like a four-second spot. That's always fun, but uh, still wasn't there because still – stuff was up in the air I, I, you just didn't know because idaho was pretty open so you're like okay we're gonna go there then they changed the woodburn race to montana i was like well, i really don't want to go there and you know it's really tough bumping and blah 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 and there probably really wasn't until i got to the semis of arizona i think it was the first arizona out of the double but then i screwed up and screwed up the finish line the semis by like two tenth hour and i'm like don't tell me that's going to be, you know, that's kind of the way you, don't tell me that's going to be the one that, you know, but I was like, I'm kind of getting going, been going some rounds here. Okay. I, you know, and you start thinking about it, but you don't want to think about it. But, you know, that's kind of why I went on that trip. I was able to make a bracket race at 
at Sonoma with Kyle and he was able to get me on their ET finals team, which I love going to the ET finals, but I've been wanting to go to division seven ET finals for years. And Oh, that's the week before the Phoenix races. I, I think I can pull this off and got some extra time at work when everything kind of shut down. A few of us went in to, to clean the place and stuff and uh, got some extra vacation time and that helped because that knocked a little rust off, you know, and early, I guess it was probably late September, early October and been a while since we raced and, that was a, a big help and just getting some, like I say, knock the rust off, get some seat time and, and then the Phoenix. But yeah, I just didn't want to get too carried away with, with that kind of thing. Like I say, I, I try my best to not, to not think about it, but it's hard not to. And say you're either in the lead or you're being brought up as a potential, uh, you know, in, in the hunt kind of deal and people ask you and, but it's, I, I try my best to kind of not get too carried away with it. And 2020 had so many unique obstacles because at one point, I don't remember exactly when the, the updated schedule was announced, but at one point, like thoughts of a championship had to be completely out of sight, out of mind. Like there just wasn't a, a way to physically make enough races on the West coast yep. at a couple yep. of events in Vegas. And that's got to catalyze like, Oh, there, there's at least a, a, a road here, you know, a path. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I'd called, texted a few guys trying to find a, I didn't want to have to tow to Dallas, but that was like, I can't remember what week, but it was pretty much leave whatever, Vegas, whatever it was, go to Dallas and come back to Vegas, you know, like I need to just kind of fly there, but nobody, there was one offer from Brad Pallert and he, yeah, you're going to have to fly to Alabama and tow my stuff there, but you can run this car. And I'm like, I'd rather just tow my own stuff, you know, but I appreciated his offer. You know, I was just hoping for something to be there and it just didn't pan out. I mean, but, uh, I was just thinking, man, I might, I might need a 40 pointer, a second rounder just to put this over the edge. It was, it was hard not to do it, but. Cause you, know, you ended up leaving one national event on the table, right? That's, yep. Correct. It's incredible stuff. I'm curious too. you, you talked about running the, the ET finals and obviously your, your bracket racing background. I know that the bulk of your time is spent on the NHRA tour and traveling to those events. How much do you race outside of stock eliminator competition these days? Not, not a whole lot. It's basically I've broken enough stuff like in my super stock car that it's just, it's just hard to do. And, you know, some guys, if you're a bracket guy, you're like, ah, it's no big, well, it is a big deal with the valve train and light pistons and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And it's hard to just go out there and put laps. You know, I did the fling, but that's, geez, that's been 2015. I mean, that's been five years already now, but uh, I'd like to, I, I still have my, bracket but as you know you start getting into two three cars it's hard to to keep them all going and i haven't driven that car in probably about 10 years now and that's that's frustrating but with two cars and maintenance on your rigs and but uh yeah it's not like i don't want to and it's looking with the way this nhra thing's going like it's probably heading in that direction where it's either going to look for going to some of these big big money super stock super stock things or going to the flings, which is fine. It's, it's fun for sure. I would imagine that you can still uh, think back whether it's years or in some cases decades on some of those near miss seasons and tell me bit by bit, thousandth by thousandth, some of the pivotal rounds <laughs> along the way. I'm curious, as you look back on 2020, was there a, a maybe not necessarily a deciding round, but a pivotal round that you look back on. It's like that really could have gone either way. And it just, 
fell my direction. You know, and I feel like that's the way it has to go in a championship season. Yeah, that was for me the only one that sticks in my mind is that the Phoenix one that didn't go my way, but the one, the main one that might have put me over the top was when the sports nationals got postponed. I knew I had Cal Method, and you're, you know, he's a, if he was an East Coast guy, you're like, oh, maybe there's a chance he goes home, or you know, blah blah blah. And you don't know, but he's he's not going anywhere. And, and like I say, I don't remember all the numbers. I remember it was like a two thou deal, and it was just like a big sigh of relief and exciting to get through it, especially after you see the two ten thou time slip, the finish line deal, and you know that, and then. Uh, yeah, the round had happened. Like I say, I was a little unsure, but probably the final round. But then I, it was dark. Scott Burton had his headlights on. I, I took like, I don't know, point, you know, three-tenths stripe. And, but it worked out. But it's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's just rough, right? It just – but uh, I, I would say definitely that Cal Method one. Obviously, the turned on a lot of wind lights that year. But uh, I, I, that's the one for me that sticks out because it was, like I say, two-tenths out and uh, – it doesn't get much tighter. No, that's uh, that one stuck out for me. I was watching on live timing because that was midweek as well, wasn't it? Thursday or Friday? Thursday. Yep, Thursday. So I'm uh, I'm watching that, and it was the first round of the resumption, right? Yep. Correct. And I see the run that Cal Method lays down. It was I don't remember the exact numbers <laughs> either, but like 25 total or something like that. Yep. Yep. He take a little bit to, to get under it. And I just thought that's the round that deserves to win the world championship. Right. right. I hope this all comes to fruition because that <laughs> stand on your head and he did it. So that's uh, it's cool stuff, man. Jody, congratulations, not only on your championship, but on your, on your body of work. I mean, this is the, um, the, the cherry on top of a, of a hall of fame career. I'm glad to see that you're honored in this way because I feel like the, the championship is overdue and, and been long deserving for a long time. I think the way that you go about it is not only um, fun to watch. I think it's inspirational in a day and age where I don't want to say you can necessarily buy wind lights, but more and more you just see the, the technology and the, the level of comfort. Sure stepping up it's a it's a throwback to see you continue to have success in the exact same car and the in a lot of the exact same way that you have for decades and i think it's i definitely appreciate that it is even me being so close to it it's kind of hard to believe sometimes to be honest with you because some of the tracks i've had success with boise vegas sonoma there's no way a slow car is going to win at these windy tracks it's just it's just it's not going to happen and it's just one of those deals. You just try to pay attention and learn from, from guys like Kyle and Justin and that are really good at dialing their stuff. And I'd still like to see them uh, dial, dial my wagon, whoever's going to rather probably see Kyle drive it, but he can swap some feet. So <laughs> no, that, it's interesting. Cause I, I had thought about this before too. I don't know um, what your answer to this would be outside of Seattle watching from the outside. Like I feel like, Vegas might be your strongest track, you know, historically. And that's got, like, I feel like Vegas is tricky and I'm not in a it's, station wagon. I mean, that's yeah. the, the level of difficulty has got to be insane. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you've been there. It's look at five flags and they're all doing something different at the same time. And you just kind of sometimes feel like you're licking your finger. And I mean, it's, it's so, it's so incredibly hard and you can have success there. And the next time you go there, you're out first round because you 
broke out by nine hundredths, you know, dialing for a headwind that swapped on you because it'll do that. It's mm-hmm. just insane. No, it is. It's a it's a tricky facility, and I'm saying that covering it in eight seconds, you know, <laughs> five seconds less than you typically, or, or a, right. a few anyway. I, yep, yep. I want to wrap this up. Typically, uh, it's it, Jed will listen to this and, and chuckle because we used to do this with every guest, and, and we haven't done it in months, maybe not years. Um, but we used to always wrap up with a hot seat, and the whole idea was I'm just gonna I'm a throw you out questions that can be short answer, not always racing related. We just have a little bit of fun with it. Some of these I'm going to tee you up. Like if, if you want to riff on them for a minute or two, feel free. I'm not going to cut right. off the line, but uh, I, I got five good ones for you. All right. So these aren't the one, one word answer ones. Just they don't have to be. They answer away. Yeah. Okay. So uh, looking back over the, the course of your illustrious career, if you had to select one for you, uh, what is the most memorable victory? in your mind one one victory one victory it's gotta be one of my one of my doubles you know that's that's up there there was a there was a bracket race that long after super chevy left seattle they had a what they called it their hot chevy they had three classes i won all three classes holy smoke but it was on curfew of course because it's seattle you know but it was on different that was one i just like how did that because you didn't even know when it was before they ran out of time it was like get out of one car hop in the other you would for sometimes like what car am i in you know but definitely want to probably one of the national event doubles um it's really hard because the first race of champions i won was my first wally that was 1990 mm-hmm that was that was pretty cool. They didn't have the Wally there. You had to go to the banquet to get the Wally. So, a buddy of mine had a big piece of driftwood. He's like, "Here's your Wally for the next two months." And that stuff, you know, that's a long time. That's thirty years ago, and I, I remember like it was yesterday. But I'd have to say the double just for the the, the weight of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you've done that twice. National event wise, yeah, couple couple divisional ones I've done it, and then. Yeah, like I say, that bracket race was was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, walk me through a little bit, or you go into a little more detail. The the three peat at the at Hot Chevy. Like, are you in three different cars? Yeah, I had my my sixteen fifty seventy eight Camaro, you know, stock, blah blah blah, sixteen fifty, you know, and then a buddy let me borrow his. It was like a twelve, low twelve, mid twelve, sixty six Chevelle. And then my super pro pro car, which at the time, you know, I was right, right in there. Like I had the bo- delay box in it for a couple of years, got bored with it, mm-hmm. took it out. But when it come to that race, eh, I better, it was just a dual line lock thing. I'm going to put all that stuff back in it. But that was, uh, yeah, basically I had some friends that were there racing. They were helping me. And I just like, I come back from a run. I'm like, I want this dial on it when I come back. Cause it was literally like, it was insane. If I had the time slips, I'm sure they're like a minute apart from class to class, you know. And uh, luckily, to a point, I guess the, the fi- two of the final rounds got moved because of the curfew. And, but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty incredible. Wow! It moved and finished the next day or the next week? Or? No, you just they were cool about. It. It was like, okay, here's your talk with your opponent. I think the sportsman one we did like on a Friday night, and the other guy. I wanted to do this. He couldn't do it. It would end up being like a two, three week later deal. So that was pretty cool. No, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. And what time frame are we talking there? 
that had to be 98-ish, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, all right. So, like I said, we'll, we'll, I don't know how, how quickly we'll rip through these, but I love the stories. So, follow up. Pick question. up the pace. Oh, no, <laughs> no. You're telling me. I'm not rushing Jody Lang. <laughs> if Jody Lang was not a racer, he would finish the sentence. Love to be a golfer, man. <laughs> I didn't play football in school. I played the golfing season in high school. And mind you, I wasn't like the number one guy or nothing, but that's another deal that I simulate to drag racing because it's just you, say you and the ball or you and the hole or whatever. And I think having that early golf thing kind of helped me in racing a little bit for focus. Because, you know, golf, you got to focus for the whenever you start your swing at two seconds or kind of the same at the tree. And uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, early on, it would have been definitely baseball or stuff like that. But then pretty soon you realize that it's not going not gonna to happen. Do you still Too slow? <laughs> What's that? You still play golf quite a bit? It's pretty rare. I mean, last year I played once. I used to be in, it, be in some leagues, and but it just got to be too much. You got to kind of pick or choose with the racing and the golf. But I, I still enjoy it. A couple, couple of races were able to go golfing at a race, you know, like a divisional. That that makes a weekend just super fun. Yeah, you know, just play a quick nine holes and have a few drinks. And I agree. It's funny you bring up the the correlation of the kind of the mindset of competition and the the duration of focus. Uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of uh, Bob Rotella, was a, yep. a golf instructor with within the PGA and has written a lot on the. Like I mean, one of I think my favorite book is called uh, "How Champions Think," and it's all kind of based around golf. But it's that competitive right. that and having that edge. And that book particularly, like, I bet I've read it three times. And you could just replace the word golf with the word racing pretty much throughout. And it's so mind correlates. Yep, yep, yeah, it is. Definitely see the uh, the transcendence there. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll steer away from racing a little bit now, completely on the spot. What supply in your home currently is running low? Oh, man. Supply. I'm not sure. On, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I'm blanking out on that one. I'm sorry. Circle back to it. I'll put <laughs> But this one, uh, this one will probably be easier to answer. I would trade the wagon for dot dot dot. Uh, let's see, the same wagon with like a big block in it that was a factory car. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would probably it would probably be like like a '67 three and a quarter horse, three ninety six stocker, you know, CDE car somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. So it's not uh, it's not the immovable object that will never not be in Jody Lang's possession. Uh, I think yeah, it's but it's a it's getting it used to always be my bracket car, which one I'm gonna live in down by the river in, but the wagon be a little bit easier to live in, so <laughs> it would be tough. <laughs> you got a little more room. I remember um, Scott Duggins that owns uh, Par Racing Engines in South Carolina. I think he's a five-time IHRA World Champion. And I believe all five, maybe it's four, were in the same old, I think it's an old J. Ed Horton dragster. And he laughed and told me the year he won his last championship that he was going to hang it from the rafters in a shop. And if I'm not mistaken, that chassis is hanging from the rafters. 
That's awesome. Uh, we may have touched on this earlier, and, and who knows, maybe we haven't. You'll surprise me. Uh, favorite racetrack, favorite facility? I got to go with Pomona. Just it's like the pits aren't the best. You've been there. It's pretty bumpy, pretty – but there's just so much history there, you know, and you're, you see some old film or whatever, you you can just see by the end of the track, the mountains, and the, you're like, that's Pomona, you know, even though they're trying to make, pull it off as – some other racetrack is just so easy to, to figure out which one it is. And uh, yeah, the history there and it's just fun to go there. It's the start of the year, end of the year, usually for us. And I'd have to say that, you know, it's hard to, to not say Seattle up here, but it's just so, so cool to look forward to going to Pomona usually for me. I would agree with that. And the, is from what you said, I, it, it's more the history and the atmosphere, but obviously you've had success there as well. Does that, that play a role in it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I think I won class at Maple Grove when I went there. Didn't win around otherwise, but uh, just uh, if you could get rid of the rain there, but just, you know, make a run, you're dri- you know, driving through some trees and stuff. That's that's a really cool setting as well. I agree. I've been to Maple Grove once, and, I, and I've talked about it ever since. I thought that was a really yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Point. Pomona, it hit me, I think, more at the Winter Nationals. Um, just maybe it's uh, the the snowbird in me, you know, getting out and actually getting to race that early in the year is part of it. Yep. yep. in the air for a new season. And then to your point, sitting in the, in the bleachers there on down track and you get that view of the tower with the ice, the snow capped mountains in the background. And it's just like, Oh, this is where it starts. Yeah. You know, this is how we kick off the year. I, I get that for sure. Yeah. I got a buddy that sent me a picture. It would have been nice to use it for the backdrop, but it was me just getting done with a run. Probably just hooked up a battery charger. I'm walking away. He didn't, I like these pictures the best where you're not posing and I'm walking away, but it's my cars and the, the snow capped mountain right behind. It's just one of the best pictures I, I think I have. It's, it's really neat. Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, Jody, again, thank you so much for uh, for sharing some of your time and some of your story with us here on the podcast. Again, congratulations on the on the season, the championship, and uh, and the body of work as a whole. It has been an honor, and uh, appreciate you jumping on with us. I appreciate you having me. I kind of wish uh, Jed was on there to pick on me a little bit about the foot break thing. Being he's kind of a foot break legend, so uh, tell him hi for me. I'm sure you'll watch this, but. Uh, you know, I was at the, the year I was at the fling was might be, I'm not sure. It might be the only year he didn't announce. And I was, <laughs> I wasn't too happy. I was dying to meet him. When you talked about the foot break only aspect of your stock eliminator program, I guarantee you somewhere Jed was just cheesing ear to ear. He- <laughs> <laughs> Jody, take care, bud. You too. I appreciate it. Thank you. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect. Led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.